and on scorenorth.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dookie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. TGIF Scoop Podcast faithful. It is The Scoop Podcast right here on Score North on 1500. This new year, this new decade brings yet another episode of The Scoop Podcast. This is episode 273 on this 3rd of January. Let's start with the Gophers football team. It was an unbelievable run this year, or I guess in the 2019 season. They get to 11 victories. 11 victories for the first time since 1904. I think it's realistic to think that they will start next year ranked in the top 15. P.J. Fleck has this program at maybe an all-time high level, or certainly at least in the modern era, an all-time high level. Let's talk Gophers football now with a regular on the podcast. It is former Gophers quarterback Connor Rhoda from Creighton Durham Hall High School. He started games for P.J. Fleck in Fleck's first year as Gophers coach. He still remains close with a number of current Gophers players, so we always appreciate his contributions because he has unique insight. Connor, first off, Happy New Year, and are you with me? I mean, I think for them to have beat Auburn, they had to play their best game of the season. I guess it's debatable, the Penn State game, the Auburn game, but when you look back at Wednesday's performance, I do think, Connor, that was the Gophers' best performance of the season. Yeah, I agree. What was really encouraging was to see how the O-line handled their D-line. That was what I was most worried about going into the game, and um, especially with Falele not playing and guys being banged up and seeing that they really went toe-to-toe with one of the best D-lines in the country. Um, you know, and I don't know what they ended up running for, but I know Muhammad was well over 100 yards and um, they had to be close to 200 on the day. So um, it was a really complete complete win offensively and defensively. Um, and, yeah, I'd agree that it was a, a bigger win and um, their best performance of the year. I mean, P.J. Fleck is right. I mean, to be a blue blood, you need to beat a blue blood. I think that Auburn team is really, really good. I mean, that's why I just think that that victory on Wednesday is so significant. Absolutely. I mean, you look at who the who Auburn lost to this year, and um, they held LSU to 23 points that they lost to Georgia and Florida, I believe. Um, you know, three, three one-score games that very well could have gone their way, and if they did, they would have been in the playoff. And um, when you look at how Minnesota beat them today, it was you know they just had the players to be able to do it, and I think that's what uh, has fans excited and uh, really has people you know already wanting August to get here. I mean, it was a bit of a roller coaster. I mean, you think about that first series. Morgan throws the interception. You think about the kickoff return by Auburn for the touchdown. So the Gophers are down three nothing. Then they're down ten to three. I think you know after each of those plays. I think if you took the temperature of a lot of Gophers fans, I'm not quite sure they would have said, yeah, the Gophers are going to go on to victory. Absolutely. I mean, it was uh, kind of as bad of a start um, as you could ask for, other than you know holding them to a field goal was really important, I thought. And, um, you know, showed that the defense was, was here to play today. And um, But, yeah, it was, uh, it was good to see them come back from that start. You know, similar in similar fashion what they did against Iowa, but they're able to do it a little bit quicker um, in this one and, and get on the right side of it. 
I mean, I suppose the comeback is that Auburn actually had 10 points before they even had 10 yards. So I guess if you were an optimistic Gophers fan, you thought, you know what? I mean, heck, if Auburn you know, continues to go like that, they're not going to keep getting all these turnovers or fluky plays. I don't want to call a kickoff return by, by a track star fluky play, but unlikely to have another one of those the rest of the day. I mean, just looking at some of the halftime stats, Connor, I mean, you look at yards. This is just at the half. The Gophers, 291 yards. Auburn, 110. Rush yards. Yeah. Gophers, 141. Auburn, only five yards rushing in the first half. P.J. Fleck is a big time-of-possession guy, maybe bigger than, than May or some other coaches, but it's a big deal to him. Time of possession, just first half. The Gophers, nearly 21 minutes. Auburn, just a little over nine minutes. So you look at just the halftime, and you thought, you know what? The Gophers actually, at that point, should win this game. That's why it was such a roller coaster. Right, and I think if you go back and look, I'm not positive on how much time was left, but they got the ball back there in the fourth quarter um, with around eight minutes. You know, and at that point you're thinking they're up seven, and if they can go and somehow even get three, that would be huge, and they end up not losing the ball again. You know, they finish the game with the ball in their hands, and um, I think that just speaks to the type of team they have and the type of program that uh, Flex running over there is. You know, that's the type of football that he wants to play and there's nothing better than you know finishing the game with your offense on the field and um, really taking control like they did the offense was on the field because of the fourth and one conversion 347 left the Gophers had the ball at Auburn's 41 yard line I guess at that moment what was your thought was your thought hey absolutely go for it was your thought hey maybe take a five-yard penalty see if you can draw them off sides pin them within the 20, but then they do go for it. I mean, the aggressiveness was great. I guess where was that aggressiveness in the Wisconsin and Iowa games? But it was great to see on Wednesday, Connor. But then this tight end, and I'll be frank, and, you know, I follow the team, I think, pretty darn close. I don't have the answer to everything, but, you know, like I follow this team pretty close, closer than a lot of people. I'll be frank, Connor. I didn't know of Bryce with him. I just didn't, even though he's got three career catches or had three career catches entering the game on Wednesday. But then, lo and behold, the tight end. I mean, we've been wanting the tight end to be a part of this offense for a while. There is Bryce on that fourth and one, Tanner, a little bit of a high throw, but Bryce made one heck of a catch. I mean, just what about the story of Bryce with him coming out of nowhere, also had the touchdown catch on the fourth down play earlier in the game. I mean, just what a story, just him on an individual basis coming out of nowhere to have the impact he did. Right. It's, uh, you know, I believe he's a fifth-year senior, so what a way for him to go out. and um, You know, he's a kid that's been through it all. He's been through all the coaching changes, and, um, you know, he finally got his chance, and he two fourth down uh, catches, one for a touchdown and one to essentially seal the game to an extent so that was fun to watch and it's fun to see guys like that you know get their reward for everything that they go through we're talking with former gophers quarterback connor rota do you remember him i mean i guess you would have been teammates with with him i'm just i'm being i'm telling you god i don't i don't ever remember him i mean jake paulson out with the injury i mean if jake is able to play i mean with him in all likelihood doesn't even see the field right yeah no i mean bryce was always there um you know, for I would have played with him for three years. So um, he was always a talented kid. And, um, you know, unfortunately, he just kind of fell behind Paulson who's becoming a hell of a player. And, um, you know, he came in in the, the kill and Clay's offensive 
uh, you know, schemes where they're playing two or three tight ends uh, every game. And, um, you know, just kind of happened to be the situation, but he was always there working his butt off. And um, obviously it showed when he finally got his chance to, to make an impact, he goes and makes those two catches. How enjoyable was the aggressiveness? I mean, I touched on it, but it sure would have been nice to see that sort of aggressiveness from PJ in the Iowa and Wisconsin games. Absolutely. Um, you know, part of it, I'm sure, is that, you know, and it's not a meaningless game, but it's as close to a meaningless game as there can be, right? So, um, like on that fourth and one at the end of the fourth quarter, um, you know, the defense has been playing so well, and knowing that, he's you know, I'm sure thinking more so, which is, you know, how I like a coach to think about it, but let's go and win the game right now versus trying to play it safe and giving them the ball back. Um, you know, like I was saying, he, he wants the offense to go and finish the games with the ball in their hands in that situation. And, um, you know, he gave them the, the chance to go and make that play and then they do it and finish the game out from there. So it was fun to watch. It's fun to know. Um, but you've got a coach that can make decisions like that and uh, will put his players in the positions to go out there and, and win the games. I don't necessarily disagree with you that, that the overall feel of the game is that of it being meaningless, but like you think about getting to that 11th victory, right? Beating an SEC team, not that you're playing a lot of SEC teams over the course of, of many, many years, but the first time you beat an SEC team in, what, like 15 or 16 years, something like that. You know, like beating an Auburn team that you could consider a blue blood, a really good team, like a legit top 10 team. So I guess what is that balancing act of, yeah, meaningless, and across the country we see different guys sitting out bowl games, you know, getting ready for, for their pro careers. But then, like for many more years here, Connor, we're going to cite this victory, that this is going to be a really big deal for a long time. Absolutely. And I think when you look at it from that way, it's – uh that's a struggle when, um, you know, you take your team to a bowl game. It's, you know, just as challenging just to get the team motivated. And, you know, you're down there for almost a week. And um, I, that's a struggle for coaches. But obviously it shows, you know, we didn't go to a bowl game my year with Flex. So I don't know how he is compared to the Killing Clay staff. But, um, you know, he's shown now one and two bowl games in a row that, you know, he's able to get him motivated and able to, you know, preach that importance of the game and what it is. You know, they're now the Outback Bowl champions and, um, you know, it's, uh, it just really sets the tone for the upcoming year and it's going to help with recruiting. It's going to help, you know, in all walks of the program. So, um, as meaningless as it is, it's still really important. And like you're alluding to, it's, it's a monumental, I think, win for, for what Gopher football is going to look like in the future. I suppose, Connor, Connor Rhoda, our guest, I suppose, Connor, as well as you know, Tyler Johnson, I mean, heck, you threw touchdown passes to Tyler. I mean, you connected with him numerous times, games, practices. You know him incredibly well. I suppose the show he put on on Wednesday, you think about the touchdown catch back of the end zone, not an NFL catch, but hey, it doesn't matter, right? In the college game, that was one heck of a catch. You think about the long touchdown, I mean, all the yards he had, all the catches, all the school records he now owns. I suppose none of that is a surprise to you. Not at all. Um, obviously, I you know played with Tyler for two years. He didn't do much as a freshman, but you saw 
one, just the type of kid he is. And I mean, he's, he's the perfect example of somebody that you want in your program and the hometown kid. And, um, you know, I don't think anybody that's gotten, you know, the chance to spend any amount of time with him was surprised to, to see the career they ended up having. You know, I don't know that I would have necessarily said he'd leave the all time record holder and pretty much every wide receiver, uh, statistic. For the school, but you knew he'd be a big time player, and that's um, going to be fun to watch him play at the next level because um, he's just a gamer and he shows up and makes plays. And um, whoever's lucky enough to, to snag him in the draft is going to be really happy that they did. It is a really, really good wide receiver draft. I mean, you talk to NFL folks, Connor, they will tell you this might be the best wide receiver draft ever. So I think because of that, he might fall a little bit, but I'm with you. I mean, I think he ends up going early on Saturday, so that means like the fourth round, maybe early fifth round, but I think whoever ends up with Tyler is going to be incredibly happy. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be a guy that plays, you know, and I, I think uh, you look at somebody like Winfield as well, um, I think he'll go higher than Tyler does, but both those guys are just guys that are going to play for a long time, um, you know, barring that they're able to stay healthy and um you know, kind of regardless of where they both get drafted, they're going to have long careers and make a couple franchises. Really happy that they took the uh, the flyer on those guys. Full disclosure, we are recording this conversation on Wednesday late afternoon after the game just because of my work schedule, my travel schedule, traveling with the Vikings to New Orleans. I had to record this segment on Wednesday afternoon. So who knows? By the time this thing airs on Friday night, we might have official news. But based on what we saw on Wednesday, I mean, Matt Simon has to be this team's offensive coordinator. I mean, to me, Connor, here's how I look at it. Regardless of of what took place and how impressive Wednesday was, he is going to call plays for somebody in the next year or two. Knowing how good of a recruiter he is, knowing all the relationships he has here in the Midwest when it comes to recruiting, and knowing how good of an individual you know, coach he is when it comes to, to coaching up wide receivers, the track record at Western Michigan, now here. I mean, I'm just looking at it like if I'm P.J. Fleck, I don't want to lose an asset like that. So even if it's a little aggressive, maybe it's a little early to give him the play-calling duties, I don't want to lose him in a year to some other program. So I'm making that move now. To me, Matt Simon has to be this team's offensive coordinator. I'm right there with you. I think, uh, you know, as soon as Fleck and the whole staff showed up, you know, almost three years ago now, I guess, um, you knew, you know, as soon as you spent any time around Coach Simon that, you know, he's a superstar in the profession and he's going to go really as far as he wants. I believe he'll be a head coach one day. And um, maybe it is going to be a touch early, but, I mean, you watch him, with essentially one week of of prep to call the plays, you watch what he did today, and it shows that he's ready. And um, you know he's got the work ethic to to handle that responsibility. And like you're saying, I think if if you don't make the move now, I think he's gone. Whether that's you know before next season or after next season. So um, I know Fleck will do his his due diligence on everybody, but um, I think there's something to say about keeping it keeping it in house and. Um, you know, given that that promotion to somebody who is respected by all the players, not saying that whoever you know from the outside that may come in wouldn't be respected by the players, but you've got a, a group of guys that really love Coach Simon, and um, you look at the way that he recruits and the way that 
he's worked with guys like Tyler and Rashad and um, you know Corey Davis going back to Western Michigan. I think it'd be a a mistake not to give him the job, and um, you know I really hope they do because I think he's he's perfect for what what they're doing over there right now. Yes or no, it is too aggressive to suggest that they open as a top 15 team next year. I mean, I look at it, Connor, that the quarterback is back. The running back, I mean, we only briefly touched on on Muhammad, but Ibrahim was great on Wednesday. I mean, what a stud he was. He's back. The entire offensive line is back. I mean, they have six starters when it comes to the five spots, so they have six legit offensive linemen back. Rashad Bateman is back. Paulson Brevin Spanford, I think, will only get better in the new offense. I mean, there's a lot to like about this team's offense heading into next year. So I think because of that, they will open up as a top 15 team next year. I agree. I mean, I think they'll be right around that 15 mark. Um, you know, I think I think today really puts a statement on the year that they had. You know, it shows that the Penn State game wasn't a fluke. Um, and kind of takes away that negative taste from those Iowa and Wisconsin losses. So when you look at just what they did this year and then you start looking at what they're bringing back and you've got guys that were redshirting this year that were big-time recruits that can start making an impact and, um, you know, you just look at the team that they're going to have, um, I think right around that 15 mark is is legit. And I think they're, you know, I think they're a favorite probably co-favorites with Wisconsin next year for the West. And, um, you know, I think they've got the ability to do that and go compete for a Big Ten title. How bad do you feel for Zach Anikstead? I mean, maybe I'm nuts, but I think before the summer camp injury, not that he was a heavy favorite, but I would have made him the betting favorite to be the starting quarterback this year. He suffers the injury early in summer camp. Tanner Morgan knows for weeks heading into the season opener, the job is his. He runs the whole year with... You know, knowing that he's the guy, I mean, he was tremendous, one of what, the 10 or 15 best quarterbacks, if not more than that, better than that, in the country. I mean, at this point, there shouldn't be a quarterback competition. I mean, Tanner Morgan is this team's quarterback for the next couple of years. Absolutely. I think you, I mean, you're looking at statistically the best quarterback and in, in go for history, um, at least in a single season. And if you look at that, truly his first full season as a starter. You know, he's made something 17 18 starts or something now and um you know competition is healthy but i also do think there's something to say about um you know giving a kid the keys really to the whole program and saying run with it you know um so i i think that's what should happen um you know like i said competition is good so i can see zach sticking around and competing with tanner um, but it's a difficult situation for Zach because he's uber talented and could very well go out and perform just like Tanner does. But now, given that Tanner's gone and done it and, um, you know, is coming back for two more seasons, I don't know how you can't give him the keys to the program and see where he can take you. Former Gophers quarterback Connor Rhoda. Connor, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, Doogie. We transition in this first segment of Scoop Podcast episode 273 on this Friday night. Here on Score North on 1500 from Talking Gophers Football to college basketball, Zeke Naji, Hopkins High School, University of Arizona. He is a diaper dandy. He is one of the best freshmen in the country. All signs point to him being a first-round NBA draft pick in June. He was home over the Christmas break for a few days. He was nice enough to come in studio. Here is my conversation with 
Zeke Naji, Arizona Wildcats leading scorer, rebounder, and he leads them in blocked shots. Zeke, I mean, and it's what we touched on when you joined me in radio for a little bit, but like I'm thinking about just even like as we flip the calendar to 2020, like all your life's accomplishments, both on the court, off the court in yeah. the year 2019. Like, have you had a better year on this planet than the year 2019? <laughs> yeah, it was a great year. I mean, you know, got to win the state championship my last year. Then uh, having a great season in Arizona, I mean, not much more you can ask for. Yeah, I mean, and it's been crazy how fast everything happened. I mean, we know mm -hmm. the grind of playing at Hopkins. I mean, just go to any Ken Novak Jr. practice. Yeah. You see the grind. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, January, February, into March, into late March is a grind. Yeah. You win the state championship. Yeah. Then you're trying to decide, okay, where am I going to play next year? Yeah. So, I mean, there was a lot of craziness there. April. Yep. The next thing you know, I mean, it's early June. You graduate high school. Yeah. Then was it like two or three days later, you're in Tucson for summer workouts? Yeah. I mean, I mean, it really went by so fast. I mean, after a state championship, I was getting a lot of workouts in every day, lifting a lot on the Arizona, uh, the Arizona program that they had for me. And then... Um, as soon as I graduated, like literally three days later, I uh, was over in uh, Tucson for summer workouts. And then after that, I went to USA for after about a week in Tucson. I went to USA for about uh, another week. And then I went back to Arizona and I've been there ever since. How fast has all this happened? Like I was talking to Ken Novak Jr. when I was over at practice a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And he reminded me that as recently as what, like your sophomore year in high school, you weren't on the national radar. Yeah. But now you are. I mean, you are one of the best freshmen in the country. Nobody can deny that. When you lead a really good team in points and rebounds and blocks, mm -hmm. you are. I mean, you can make a case. You're first team, all freshmen in the country. Like, everything has happened pretty fast, hasn't it? Yeah. But in a good way. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I mean, I think, I, I mean, I really, if I really think to sophomore year of high school, like, it, it feels like a long time ago, but it really wasn't like... It feels like yesterday, and I think that it's crazy how much I've improved and how much like national uh, buzz has come to me. And uh, I don't know. I mean, just thinking where I am now. I mean, if I was if I was a tenth grader right now, I mean, it's still I would still seem like a dream to like to be where I am right now. Where have you improved the most? I mean, are we talking your shot, your body? Like, just go up and down the list of of every area that you've improved since maybe as recently as 10th grade at Hopkins. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember I, if I look back to 10th grade, I was, uh, I was a string bean. I was super skinny, uh, basically like a pick and pop guy. And I think that one of the biggest things was just improving my body. I mean, I went from being like the skinny, weaker guy to really putting a lot of time in and now being like the strong guy that people are trying to double and make sure that I don't, that I don't get the ball. So I mean, I think that that helped me the most. I mean, helped my rebounding, boxing out, um, playing defense, being able to wall straight up, uh, driving the ball on offense, and just uh, being able to handle more physical styles of play. And um, I think that that's, that was probably the biggest uh, difference I noticed from then to now. I think also, I mean, I just developed a more consistent shot. I mean, I've been really relying on that mid-range shot, and it's been, it's been really helping me. I mean, you think about the next level, the mid-range game is starting to die a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, but I guess the beauty is... I mean, you have position flexibility, versatility, mm -hmm. and you can stretch out to the three-point line if you need to. Yeah, definitely. I mean, ever since I was a little kid, my dad always wanted me to not just be a guy who's stuck in the post. 
He wanted me to be a versatile player that can guard the two through five, even one through five, still be able to shoot the three, still be able to battle inside, get rebounds. Um, I mean, he didn't want me to just be a back-to-the-basket kind of player. And so I think that that's really helped me to uh, be so successful in, in uh, this level. What's the physicality like at the collegiate level compared to high school? Oh, it's, it's so much different. Like, I think about high school, how easy it was to grab rebounds. I think that uh, the first, uh, first like, game, couple of games, like five or six games, I was like, it was hard for me to get rebounds. I think, I mean, I wouldn't say it was hard, but it was just was so much different. I was in high school, I was able to get like 10, 12, 13, 15 rebounds without really like trying like overly hard. But I think that in the collegiate level, like you really have to go after the ball to get those 10 rebounds, to get that double double. So I think, I think uh, that has like been one of the biggest things I've noticed. And what about when you're on offense getting the ball in the post? You know, probably a lot easier to make that move or moves that you have yeah. in, in, you know, your arsenal. Yeah. You know, it's easier to do that against, you know, DeLaSalle or you name a high school <laughs> opponent compared to Gonzaga or Baylor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone, like, if you look, like, in high school, each team maybe has one to two really good players that will go collegiate level. But, I mean, if you look around here, everyone was that player in their high school, like, the, the main guy. And so, I mean, it's a lot different going up against that level of competition night in, night out. What's it like playing with Nico Mannion, who, I mean, we talked on the radio about Tyrell Terry maybe being the best freshman point guard in the country, yeah. but others would say, no, whoa, slow down. Yeah. It's Nico Mannion that you're playing with an unbelievable point guard. Yeah, Nico is, Nico is uh, incredible. I mean, he's, he's like, he has this, like, fight in him, and, like, he's so competitive. It pushes, it pushes really everyone else to be just as competitive as him. And, uh, I mean, his vision is insane. He has eyes in the back of his head. Like, if you're not ready for it, like, it's going to hit you in the face or something because he's throwing passes that you'll never see coming. And uh, he's a great shooter, just a great, uh, great leader, too. I mean, he's a great point guard to have. Where do you need to get better? I think, I think developing a more consistent three-point shot is one of them. I think um, I like to prove on my ball handling more as well and just um, continue to get better at defending the the perimeter and being able to switch on those smaller guys and be able to keep them in front of me. I mean, the defense you played Arizona, is that a switch-based defense? I mean, do you have those opportunities? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's definitely times where I'll, I'll have to switch onto the smaller guy. But I mean, I do that a lot in practice. I mean, I think it's something that I'm really getting better at and I'm really working to get better at. Do you read any of the mock drafts? I mean, every draft analyst is talking about you. <laughs> I mean, is it hard to avoid that? You know, I guess how do you how do you view that when people are talking about you potentially being a one and a done? I mean, I I don't really I don't really look at that stuff. I find it a little distracting, and I think if I really was to look at it, it would uh, not make it would uh, make me uh, less focused than I need to be. So I mean, I really I really don't look at that stuff. I just keep my head down and I just work every day, try to get better every day. I don't sense just knowing you a little bit that focus is ever an issue, <laughs> and that you're always going to be motivated. I mean. You know, you think about the slight, you know, not being a McDonald's All-American. Yeah. You know, not getting the national accolades last March and April that yeah. you probably deserved. Yeah. Like, I always sense that not only are you uber-focused, but you got a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. Yeah, definitely. I think that I, I almost kind of liked that I wasn't chosen or didn't get those some of those accomplishments because it really helps me. It really provides me with motivation to to work hard every day. I mean, I think about, like, even, even if I want, even if I... Uh, don't want to go as hard a certain day or I don't feel like grinding that day. I mean, I just think about it. I just like really 
like uh, lights a fire within me and I just want to work harder and I just want to prove everyone wrong, you know I mean? I guess that's, that's really how I play with a chip on my shoulder and like the passion that I bring is really trying to just prove everyone wrong. Are you done growing or are you still growing? Um, I don't know. I think I may be done height-wise. I mean, maybe and I have... So what are you, like a legit 6'11"? Yeah, 6'11". Uh, so who knows, maybe I might have one more in me. I don't know, but uh, I, like, I like the height I'm at right now. But weight-wise, I mean, you continue to work on the body, so yeah. maybe even a year from now, you might have another 10 pounds on you. Yeah, yeah, I'm at, I'm at 240 right now. I mean, that's a, that's a good weight for me, but who knows, maybe in a year or two, I can definitely increase that weight. So you're at 240. Like, even like junior year at Hopkins, what were you? Junior year at Hopkins, I might have been like 200, something like that. Is that nuts then? Like over a two-year period? Yeah. It's not like we're talking fat. I mean, we're talking muscle. Yeah. And I get it. Muscle weighs more than fat, but still. Yeah. <laughs> like, to go from 200 to 240. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, I mean, if you really think about it, it's a big jump, but I mean, it doesn't feel like I'm heavier. It doesn't feel like I'm slower. It just feels like I'm stronger. Like, it's hard to just, it's like hard to describe, but like, I really don't feel slower. I feel, I actually feel, if, if, it, if you can believe it, it's, I feel quicker, more explosive than I've ever been before. What's the college life like? I mean, Tucson, I mean, you know, I mean, you have class responsibilities. Yeah. You know, I mean, big man on campus. I mean, just what's, what's college life like for you? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's great. I mean, I think first couple of weeks, is uh the hardest because because you have to struggle you like you're trying to work out all the time management stuff when to do homework when to get up extra shots got to go to practice got to lift got to make sure you have three meals every single day and i think that um after you get past that stage though i mean it becomes a lot easier and uh really enjoyable i mean i mean i'll just be like walking to my classes or walking to uh McKeel center and uh fans will be like honking their horn or like waving so i mean that's that's pretty cool I mean, just everything you've experienced, both on the court, off the court, just affirm your decision. I mean, you had a very tough decision. Mm -hmm. You had all these schools that wanted you. You can remind us what your final five was or whatever, but yeah. you then decide to go to Arizona. Just everything you've experienced so far, just affirm your decision to choose the Wildcats? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that uh, this has been, uh, it's been a great experience so far, and I'm, I have no regrets coming to Arizona. I mean, it's, it's, it's been perfect for me. The environment is great. I mean, I really feel like uh, it's like a family environment. Everyone really looks out for you, and the coaches really have your back, and they have uh, your best interest in store for them. Who sweats more during a game, you or Sean Miller? <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> he sweats a lot. <laughs> I mean, Good coach, uh, though, right? He's a great coach. I mean, he shows that he's really into the game. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, heck, you can make a case. He hasn't been to a Final Four, right? So is he, yeah. is he the best coach right now that hasn't been to a Final Four? I mean, I mean a case can be made. I would, I would say so. I mean... He definitely, I mean, is hungry for that, just as hungry as we are. And uh, I think that him also not being there is really uh, motivating and help. Seeing him motivated helps us uh, work even harder, too. Star-studded freshman class, I mean, with you and Nico and, and others go up and down the list. But there were some holdovers as well. I mean, what's the synergy been like, you know, you guys as freshmen getting to know the upperclassmen and, and you guys coming together here to hopefully accomplish that ultimate goal of, of reaching the Final Four. Yeah, so uh, there's, there's actually only, it's a, we have a pretty new team. There was only three guys from last year's team that are on Okay, the, so that makes it a little bit easier. Yeah, okay. yeah. So uh, Ira Lee, uh, Chase Jeter, and Dylan Smith, those are the three that were on last year's team. Okay, but Jeter's a key player. Yeah, yeah. And then um, otherwise everyone else is either a freshman or a transfer or mm. like a grad transfer. 
So like Stone Giddings, Max Hazard, those are grad transfers. But I mean, I think that, um, I mean, the, the guys that were there last year, they really helped uh, look really uh, teach us and show us like what's expected and really led the way for us, especially in those early stages in the summer and even uh, September, October. I mean, they really helped us out in that sense. And uh, they, they were really accepting of that role. And they, um, whenever we need help with anything, they would, they would uh, be uh, willing to help us out with that. And so, I mean, even with all the new guys too, I mean, it started off like a little uh, rocky just because like we didn't know what to expect. We, mm -hmm. didn't, we had so many new guys. That's natural. Yeah, yeah. but uh, after a while, I mean, we, we really got things together. You still keep in touch with a lot of your your former AAU teammates, your former high school teammates, guys like Kerwin Walton and yeah. Tyrell Terry and Matthew Hurt, yeah. Jamison Battle. Like, Jamison is kicking serious butt yeah. at George Washington. You still keep in touch with all those guys? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's cool. I mean, how we all used to play on one team together. And uh, um, I just think that it's cool how that program was able to put together so many great guys, and now we're all off doing our own thing, but still doing really well. I mean, who else was on that team? Who am I leaving out? I mean... Tyler Wall. Yeah, Tyler's at, yeah, how did I forget Patrick Tyler? McCaffrey. Yeah. Uh, Who Nate. hasn't played yet, right? But, yeah. I mean, he's going to be a good player. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, talk to Gard or anybody else with the Badgers. I mean, they love Tyler's future. Yeah. I mean, it's just ridiculous how much talent that D1 Minnesota team had. Yeah, I mean, just looking back on it, like, we, we really could have been, like a, like, a college Like, we really were, like, a college team almost. Mm -hmm. Like, we just had so many great guys, and, like, we played together so well. I mean, I really miss those days because they were so fun, just, like, being with those group of guys. Is there any trash talking? I mean, do you play Stanford? I mean, you play them at least once. Do you play them twice in the conference season? Uh, yeah, I think I play, we play them a couple of times, and uh, I'm looking forward to that game. It'll be fun to go up against my old teammate, and uh, <laughs> hopefully we can get those dubs. I mean, Tyrell is, I mean, heck, right? I mean, he's been unbelievable for Stanford. Yeah. You know, and I don't know how much stock you put into net rankings, especially here in late December, but mm -hmm. Stanford's like top ten in net rankings. Yeah. Yeah, they, I mean, they always have a good team. They're, they have a solid team, and uh, he's doing a great job. And uh, I'm just so happy for him how he's how he's been killing it. And uh, hopefully, we can uh, have a great game when when uh, we go up against each other. And you keep in touch with Ken Novak Jr. and Kerwin and, and your Hopkins guys. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I mean, I just uh, saw him today, and uh, went over to one of their practices, and uh, it's cool to see to see it from this perspective of not actually being a player, but getting to watch the practice from like a older guy like a alumni perspective so that was cool i mean and uh i uh, forgot how boring those practices were yeah i mean they're boring i mean it helps a lot like it really does prepare you for the college level but there there are some boring practices i mean it's all about repetition right yeah. i mean just hammering things home so yeah you keep doing the same thing over and over yeah i imagine it it can get boring but i mean who teaches fundamentals better than ken novak jr you yeah. need that yeah i mean he, I mean, I, I really do think like he's one of the greatest coaches I've ever played for. I mean, he taught me so much, and just like what he taught me helped me to really help me to um, make the transition to college easier. What else do you want to tell us, Zeke, as, as we're sitting here? I mean, what didn't we hit on that, that's important for people to know? Um, I don't know. I think we got a lot. Uh, I haven't played piano in a while. Yeah. Ever since Red Blue, the national anthem, I haven't, I haven't been able to touch a piano, and uh, that's, that's new for me. I'm struggling with that. But uh, getting back here, I'm going to definitely uh, get back to playing. Yeah, I mean, you're on national TV all the time, so that is a storyline that's come up on some of your telecasts. Yeah. You know, that you're this accomplished pianist. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, people forget about that. <laughs> yeah. I and mean, you're well-rounded. Yeah. 
I mean, that's, that's something my parents did take pride in, especially growing up. I mean, they didn't just want me to be a basketball player or, or like a jock. You know, they wanted me to be smart in school, wanted me to not just be a basketball player, but play other sports, uh, play piano and be musically gifted as well. So I think that just really helped me to be a really well, well, well-rounded kid. Is it cool to follow your sister's recruiting happenings, your cousin's recruiting happenings, Elvis? Yeah. Now she has a Gophers offer. Yeah. Your sister Maya has, uh, I was over there a couple weeks ago, I think she said, what, 16 or 7? I mean, it's, yeah. it's off the charts how many opportunities she has. Yeah. I mean, she's only a sophomore in high school, and she has, like, probably 16, 17 offers, like D1 offers. And I, I mean, like, I, when I was a sophomore, I didn't have anything. It's, I, mean, I mean, I'm so happy and so proud of both of them. They've worked so hard, and my dad's really pushing him to, to be better, like, every single day. And um, I think that as she gets closer to, um, like, her senior year, she's going to definitely start feeling the pressure of those, uh, those colleges. Former Hopkins High School star, current University of Arizona star, one of the best freshmen in the country, Zeke Najee. It was nice to catch up with Zeke when he was in town last week on Christmas break. When we come back here on the Scoop Podcast, we'll shift the conversation to the Wild. Hey, are trade talks alive right now? What else is going on with the Wild as we hit the halfway point of the season? We'll catch up with assistant GM Tom Curvers. Stay with us here. Um. Welcome back. It's segment number two, the final segment here on Scoop Podcast 273 on Score North on 1500. Let's catch up now with Wild Assistant General Manager Tom Curvers. The Wild have hit the halfway point of their season. Their record, 19-17-5. That's good for 43 points. Tom, I guess just as I bring up that topic, the first half of the season, I guess some good, some bad. I guess just what are some overall thoughts that hit you when I say, hey, review the first half of the season? We didn't get off to a very good start, and we had, a, I thought, a pretty good training camp and a pretty good mindset going in, and then we just didn't perform. And... And to the players' credit, they figured out what it takes for our team to, to win games, and we started playing that way. Uh, they, they found some success, and they stuck to it. We had a good run of wins, and now in the, if you cut it into threes, uh, now recently we're, we're, we're not on our game the way we were for at least a month, and we have to find it again. And, and because of the poor start, we don't have a whole lot of time to find it. We have to find it now. Yeah, I mean, how maddening is that? I mean, you guys play so well in that last road game in Denver. You beat the Avalanche, and then you have these two consecutive home losses. Well, tough to lose at home because we had sort of established something good, and and we we're proud of it. And the guys were looking forward to a run of home games, and then we get our first, you know, significant home stand, and now we've uh, we've missed on a couple. So we need to grab it. Um, it the guys. You know, they're unified. They talked about it at the start of the season. After the poor start, you wondered if it was for real. Then they they bounced back and stuck together through some dark times. So I think they have the mindset and, the and you know, for sure have the experience to deal with, with the ups and downs of the season. We just have to get on the right side of it uh, because, you know, it, 500 in this league is poor. But uh, on a week-to-week basis, it's not. But overall... You, you run 500, you're at 82 points. You're way out of the playoffs. You are, although, I mean, you guys only won four of your first 14 games. So as we sit here at the halfway point, to have 19 wins, 17 losses, I mean, I don't know. To me, I mean, I think I'd take that, Tom. Well, after the, yeah, as you, as you describe it, after the first 14 games, yeah, we, we'll, we'll take it. And there's a little disappointment in the last two games. Um, the hard part about it is we're in a tough division. 
and I, you know, it, it always takes 95 points or so. So that's a significantly better second half. So we have to perform, and we're going to need contributions from the from the key spots. We're going to need goaltending. We're going to need heavy duty goaltending, uh, and that's but that's just a factor for any team that makes the playoffs. Uh, we're you know we're behind it a little bit. We're not way out of it, but we do need another you know ten game run where we're a, a dominant team as we had in November. We'll get to your goaltending in a second. We're talking with Tom Curvers, Wild Assistant General Manager, but. On the point total to make the playoffs, I mean, you think 95, it's right in that ballpark, maybe 93, 94, 95. So as you sit at, what, 43 points, you need to have, what, about 50 points, give or take, here in the second half? Yeah, you, we need to have a significantly better second half, for sure. And, you know, you can't you can't say for sure what the number will be to get in, but there are enough good teams, and there are enough teams around it that uh, it'll be – it'll take – it may take a little less than that, but not much. That, it, that's a good mark for us to, to go for that. But that said, you you just have to get ready for the next game, and you can't. You really you, you get lost. You, you lose your footing if you if you try to do more than prepare for the next game. On your next game, you host Winnipeg tomorrow night. I mean, I guess at this point, I mean, I don't know on a game by game basis. I mean, who's going to be your goalie? I mean, you can make a case. Maybe it should be Alex Stalock, but on Devin Dubnik, I mean, I guess, how do you evaluate Devin's play since he came back from, from the lengthy absence? Well, it's been a tough situation for Devin uh, with his family situation. So uh, that he came back and that he came back in a good state of mind is a good thing. Uh, he's got a history of grabbing this team and, and, taking them to the playoffs i watched it uh the players here know it they felt it they they lived it and uh you know we go into this weekend we have back-to-back games most of the time you, you split those games if uh whoever starts on saturday if they have a great game they may get both games and but that's the state we're in we can't just plan it out and plan rest anymore we have to get wins what can you say about alex the run that he was on when when Devin was out, I mean, I think for the most part, he played pretty darn well. Our guys like playing for Al. He's a, he's a vibrant guy. He's a, he's a loud guy on the bus. He's a pleasant guy. He's got a good vibe. He's got a good attitude. He likes it here. He's proud of being on this team and, and proud of the role he has. And he stepped up really well in a time of dire need. And so did Capo Kakinen, who came up from Iowa and, and, and put a few wins on the board. So we were able to to hold our own without our starting goalie and uh you know we're in the hunters you know poor start and then uh missing Dubnik for quite some time I don't remember the length of time but let's say a month or five weeks whatever the term was and we we actually made progress in that time so uh you know our goaltending hasn't been our problem it just need it will need to be uh our backbone going forward I can tell you the length of time that Miko Koibu was out it was 12 games you guys went six five and one in those 12 games, I mean, small sample size, but do you feel like Miko is back to where he was pre-injury? I think he, I think he advanced uh, through the game the other night uh, or last night. He, 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 he played more and more uh, sure of himself, and that you know it's a tough thing. You, you miss, you jump in, and everything's full speed. It feels like it's warp speed. Your first game back after an injury, and he sort of uh, got used to it in the course of a game. Speaking of first game back after an injury, when will that first game be back for Jason Zucker? I guess how is he progressing with his injury? 
Uh, I just saw him in the trainer's room the other day, and he has positive things to say, but that doesn't mean it's imminent. It's going to take a while. That's a broken bone, and, and things got to heal. And, uh, you know, you, you, you can't rush these guys. We've had, uh, you know, there's a history in the game of playing injured and, and being heroic, but what on the other side of that history of being a heroic player, playing with a broken bone or a, or a terrible injury, are a bunch of guys that played, and no one knew it, and they were criticized, and it harmed their careers. So players have to weigh that out. We have to trust them that they're ready to go, and they have to decide to go full throttle when they get back in the lineup. How long did Jason play? Was it the game in Chicago, Tom? How long did he play after the injury? Was it like a couple shifts? Was it the rest of the game? I mean, that speaking of heroic or tough or whatever, however you want to describe it, I mean, that that is pretty ridiculous to play. It's a broken leg, right? Like, to play... The rest of the game with a broken leg is, is pretty ridiculous. It's it's the smaller bone in the leg. I, and, and the only thing I can say is, uh, yeah, he played after he was hurt. Jeez. Um, so, you know, that, that takes courage and guts and, and pain threshold. Um, I, I can only think of, I played three games with one years ago uh, in Buffalo. And what I just described about, you know, I didn't know it was broken. I had a sore leg. And then I we were on the road and I got home. I had an x-ray done. And... And I had a fracture. Jeez. So players play with this stuff often. It, it quite often they play a few games before they find out. In this case, uh, you know, he finished the game. I think he finished the game, and then, and then we found out, and he had to he had to get it fixed. So his was more significant. But the fact that he even played one more shift uh, across the board, these guys are tough athletes, and there's a standard of play in the NHL to play hurt that is different than some other sports. And our guys, uh, you know, whether they're uh, heavyweight fighters or the most skilled player in the league, they, there's a high level of toughness to even survive out there. Matt Dumba is certainly tough. I mean, does he just still need some more time that he missed so much time after the injury last year that it's going to take maybe even this full year for us to see the old Matt Dumba? Uh, we can't. We we don't want. We don't want to hear those words. We. I just think he needs to have a game where everything goes right, and he he has a good attitude. And one of these games, it's gonna it's gonna click for him. And whether it's a it's a goal or an important play or a great assist or or a sliding block shot to save a win, uh, something's gonna trigger him back into into the player that that we need. And you know, it, it's it's hard to come back after significant physical injuries that he suffered last year, and and get everything back in order and. If I say anything about uh, Dumbs right now, it's he's trying too hard, and that's hard to criticize a guy that's that's giving everything he's got, and it's just not quite going right. Eric Stahl, your lone All Star. I mean, the easy choice to be to be your team's All Star. Uh, good guy, well deserving, great career. Uh, also played injured at the start of the year, and uh, you know you look at his numbers and they look pretty good if you. If you had a healthy stall to start the year, those numbers would look great. The Winter Classic is coming next New Year's Day, Target Field. Uh, I mean, heck, right? I mean, that's just that's something you have to celebrate, right? I mean, that that's something that every team in the league wants to host. And fortunately for you guys, you guys get to host it next year. Yeah, it's a huge sporting event. You know, uh, if you if if we had it this year and. You, there would have had to have been some uh, some negotiations because the Gophers played at noon and the hockey game started at one, uh-huh. and uh, it would have been a it would have been a tough deal in the local sports market because people are excited about uh, you know the Gophers in a New Year's Day bowl game. So 
uh, you know, let's aim for that next year. We're locked in to play that day, play at home. If it's a day like today was, that would be perfect. You know, right temperature, be a, a great scene, not too cold. And then uh, we'll work around the Gophers uh, making another New Year's there. Maybe they'll be in the playoff next year. That would be nice. Yeah, I mean, heck, the Rose Bowl is one of the playoff games next year. So they could slay a couple dragons there, right? Be in the playoffs for the first time, go to the Rose Bowl for the first time since the early 60s. The trade deadline, Tom, correct me if I'm wrong, is what, like still, what, six, seven-ish weeks away, eight weeks away? But, I mean, are trade talks pretty active right now or is it pretty quiet? It's it's still rather quiet because everyone's sort of, a lot of teams in the middle. We're in the vast middle. There's a few good teams and a few teams that have basically shown that they're not going to be in the playoffs. And there's a you know great number, 24 teams, maybe 22 or 24 teams that are not quite sure where where they're aimed. And and if and if a number of teams have to make a decision that they're either going to ramp up for the playoff run or sell off. And uh, we're in that group of teams. We our guys. You know, we need to win and and set ourselves on a course for the playoffs. And if it doesn't look like that, then we'll have tough decisions to make uh, if it doesn't work out that way. But right now, uh, we expect our team to, to get on a streak here and, and show us uh, the winning side of it and show us the, the aim for the playoffs. I'll hit you with two more. I saw the note the other day that you're tied for the NHL lead. This isn't good. 14 goals allowed in the final minute of any period. Is that just random? I mean, I guess what what hits you when I bring that up that that you guys have given up all these goals in the final minutes of of you know whether it's the first second or, or the third period? I don't really know what to point to on that one. Uh, you you get into the season and some of these stats and some of the minutia that that becomes uh, the talking point for a particular week. That stuff kind of comes and goes. Yeah, of course. Uh, we need to eliminate that if we're going to win games. It it it, it can't happen that way. They're, they are tough goals to give up. They're very difficult to go in the locker room, you know, for an intermission right after a, a an error or, or a bad bounce or whatever it may be. Uh, so so we we need to put a stop to it simply because that'll help us win. And then the the prospect over in Russia is it. You can pronounce the the full name. I'll probably botch it, but but Bill went over there what just a few weeks ago, late November, early December. I mean, from from your chats with Bill and from what you can gather, I mean, all is pretty well on on that front. That that this prospect, this stud player, can be here next year. We think he will be. We think he'll be. Uh, we think he wants to be here. Uh, Bill had a good conversation with him, a good dinner with him, has good rapport with uh, the player's agent. And we think uh, the work put in uh, to draft him by Chuck Fletcher regime and, and by Paul when he went over to visit with him will pay off and that, and that we'll be able to get him signed and, and play for us next year. Is the pronunciation, is it Kirill Kaprasov? Am I saying that right? Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. And, and you know, the, the tough thing is he's, he's a little older and hasn't been over here yet to play any junior hockey just for some tournaments. The good thing is that he's a little older and, uh, you know, not old, 23 or so. Yeah, 22, 23 in April. Yeah, and, and he'll be, and he'll be more, a more mature, more uh, hardened uh, professional and with, with, a, with a basket full of uh, good stats and good performance in, in, the, in the Russian League, which is very competitive hockey. Tom, thank you. Happy New Year. 
Happy New Year to you, dude. Tom Curvers is always rock solid to have on the podcast. Some notes to wrap up the podcast. It is unfortunate what is taking place with the Vikings. With Mackenzie Alexander out, he played about 50 snaps against the Bears. Why play him against the Bears when he was questionable entering that game? Doesn't practice all week. He is now out for Sunday's game. Then Mike Hughes. This is an interesting one. They did not call on Marcus Sherrills. Marcus Sherrills is now back with the Vikings. He'll return punts on Sunday. They did not call on Mike Sherrills until Thursday, later in the morning. So what took place? Something took place in Wednesday's practice, but the Vikings didn't want to say that. What's interesting is, I talked to Mike Hughes. Mike Hughes, by the way, out for Sunday's game. He has been placed on injured reserve. I talked to Mike after Thursday's practice, and maybe he was just putting on the acting face, but he made it sound like he thought he'd be okay. But anyway, no Mike Hughes on Sunday, and no Mackenzie Alexander against that New Orleans Saints prolific offense, averaging 40 points a game over their last four games, averaging 36 points a game since week 11. Pack a lunch if you're that Vikings defense. Hopefully the Vikings can make it competitive on Sunday. On the Gophers football team, it sounds like Mike Sanford Jr., the new offensive coordinator. Matt Simon, thankfully elevated. He's got the title of co-offensive coordinator, but checking around, it does sound like Sanford Jr. is more likely to be calling the plays. But I'm glad after having Connor Rhoda on earlier in the podcast, I'm glad. I mean, I made my thoughts pretty clear, both on Twitter and on the airwaves here, that I think Matt Simon deserved more responsibility So I'm glad that he now has the title of co-offensive coordinator. He'll continue to work with the wide receivers. Sanford Jr. will work with the quarterbacks. Also on the Gophers football team, Antoine Winfield Jr. Now, by the time you hear this, maybe a decision has been made. I've always thought he would go pro after spending four years here, after the year that he had. But keep in mind, the feedback he got from the draft advisory people was to go back to school. So would he consider going back to school for fifth year? Here's how fast things happen and change. Carter Coughlin is already on an airplane out to California to begin draft training. He signed with one of the bigger agencies, as did Kamal Martin, Tyler Johnson, signing with Blake Barrett. our buddy Blake Barrett, who's been on the podcast a lot. He represents Adam Thielen, Fetty Odenabo, Stephen Weatherly, CJ Ham, all sorts of guys. That's just his representation on the Vikings. But Blake has a ton of NFL clients. Blake Barrett's a local guy based here in Minneapolis. On the Wolves, I was on the Raised by Wolves podcast earlier this week mentioned a few things i'll just quickly reiterate some of those things carl anthony towns bottom line isn't getting traded anytime soon jake layman out 19 games now with that turf toe is doing a little bit more day by day he is not in the boot full time but he's still in that boot a little bit it still looks like jake layman is still a ways away from returning but he is able to ramp up his activity ever so slightly the wolves are canvassing the league with the trade deadline about a month away they have let the league know hey come get robert covington but the price is very high jeff t others remain readily available. On the Twins, they continue to await word on Josh Donaldson. They're willing to pay him a ton of money. On Rich Hill, I can tell you on Rich Hill, and people don't want to hear this. I know that fans don't want to hear this, but it's the truth. If you talk to other organizations or agents, they speak glowingly about the Twins organization. In the case of Rich Hill, he had comparable multiple offers. So the Twins and other teams put about the same offer on the table. He chose the Twins for two reasons. He does foresee them being able to make a deep run into October. I know the playoff losing streak, everything, but he feels like they can make a run in October, and it's the respect that Derek Falvey and Thad Levine showed him. I am told that Derek and Thad won Rich Hill over, so take any shot you want, and I get it. You know, I understand the frustration, but just know that Rich Hill, when healthy, is a pretty good pitcher. Now, who knows? The idea is this is a lottery ticket, hopefully, from the twin standpoint, for September 
and October. He should be able to head out on a rehab assignment as soon as May, but Rich Hill is not ready to pitch anytime real soon after a major surgery not that long ago. All right, we are done. Have a great weekend, everyone. Enjoy the Vikings game on Sunday. Scoop Podcast episode 273.